This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. What is up, Elevate? How are you guys doing? Woo, y'all be quiet. What's up, Elevate? We're here for one purpose and one purpose only, to elevate Jesus. Oh, man, you guys do sound pretty good. Everybody here with me tonight? Everybody like, are you guys ready to open up God's Word? We have some incredible content that we're going to study tonight, and it's amazing. I love how Matthew lays this out. We are going through the book of Matthew. And Matthew has already set up his themes from the very first chapter in the opening genealogy. And his themes are clear. They are that Jesus is the king surpassing King David. He came to break the curse of sin and death. And that he offers redemption to anyone, particularly the unlikely and the unexpected. And these are the themes that Matthew is going to unpack over and over and over again. We're going to see them just bloom tonight. But before we start, I want to read a poem to you. It is actually 100 years old, and it was written by a woman named Myra Brooks Welsh. And if you'll lend me your ear and turn on your imaginations, it's a beautiful way to kick off what Matthew is teaching us. Well, it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer felt it was hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. Well, it sure ain't much, but it's all we got left. I guess we ought to sell it too. Oh, now, who will start the bid on this old violin? Just one more and we'll be through. And then he cried, One, give me one dollar. Who'll make it two? Only two dollars. Who'll make it three? Three dollars twice. Now, that's a good price. Now, who's going to bid for me? Raise your hand now. Don't wait any longer. The auction's about to end. Who's got four, just one dollar more to bid on this old violin? Well, the air was hot, and the people stood around as the sun was setting low. From the back of a crowd, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin, and he tightened up the strings. He played out a sweet melody, pure, sweeter than the angels sing. Then the music stopped. And the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, he said, Now what will you bid for this old violin? And he held up the bow. One, give me one thousand. Who'll make it two? Only two thousand. Who'll make it three? Three thousand twice. You know, that's a good price. Come on, who's got a bid for me? And the people cried out, What made the change? We don't understand. Then the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, It was the touch. Of the master's hand. You see, there's more to Jesus than what meets the eye. But if we took this a step forward, Jesus sees more in his people than just what meets the eye. Now, Matthew has been presenting Jesus to us as king. And to catch you up really briefly, as a synopsis, it is. The king has been born. The king has been declared. 
by John the Baptist. The king has been anointed, but not with oil, but by the very Holy Spirit of God. The king has delivered his law. That was the Sermon on the Mount. And now, tonight, Matthew is going to prevent, propose to us, he's going to present to us that the king is now going to flex. He's going to exercise his authority of kingship. And so Matthew grabs these strings of miracles and he puts them together. Because he wants us to go from one to the next to the next to show us that his authority is greater than just the king of a country. His authority is the king of even more than just the world. As a king has authority over every created realm in existence. And that's where we're going to begin. Let's open up with a verse right out of the middle of this. Matthew eight twenty seven. Jesus has just rebuked the storm. Do you all remember that story? He just rebuked the storm. Matthew 8, 27. And the men, his disciples, marveled. They stood in awe. Their jaws are hanging open. They are shocked, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And this is the question that's going to hang in the air all night tonight. What sort of man is Jesus? Who is this guy? The first story that Matthew proposes to us, presents to us, is Matthew 8, 23-27. This powerful storm is rushing in from the north. It's running down the valley of the Jordan River, and it gets forced into this gorge between these mountains. And as it gets funneled in, It explodes out the other side. It bottlenecks in. And as it hits the Sea of Galilee, it turns the water into this churning, boiling foam. The storm is multiplied exponentially. And here are the disciples. And they're in the middle. They're in their tiny ship way out in the middle where no help can get to them. And the waves aren't just battering the side of the ship. The waves are coming over the top and battering the men on top of the ship. And with every wave, they are being threatened to be drugged off the ship into the water beneath it. And at any moment, with any wave, at any time, their ship could capsize or it could be broken into splinters, sending these terrified men into this boiling black water. And there... They would have minutes until their already depleted strength would wear out. And this terrifying, churning water would become their grave. And it's here that in desperation and panic, they rush to the back of the boat where Jesus is napping. And they wake him up in a panic. And this is what happens. Verse 825, and they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing, we're dying, we're hopeless. There's no hope to be found. We can't paddle anywhere. We can't make it back to shore. Our lives are at an end here. Save us, Lord. I want to rewind scripture. We're going to take it back to about a thousand years earlier than this. I want you to see that nothing in Scripture happens by accident. Because even this story is declaring who this is. 
Psalms 107, verse 28 through 30. Can you all read this behind me? Do we have that psalm up there? Sweet. Look at this. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Now, Lord is all caps. You notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the divine name. That is Yahweh. That has been replaced with those all capital letters. And we're supposed to recognize God's name there. So let's read this. They cried out to Yahweh. That is creator, king of the universe. In their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So when Jesus steps out at the front of the boat, we have a declaration of who Jesus is. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. And Jesus says to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? There's something more about Jesus than meets the eye. This turmoil of the storm around them, nature itself has been touched by the master's hand. Matthew is teaching us that King Jesus has authority over the natural elements. Why? Because Jesus is Yahweh, the creator of all creation. And so King Jesus is flexing. And the first story that Matthew shows us is that Jesus has authority over nature itself. And the immediate next story is this. Jesus is confronted by two demon-possessed men. These men had been living among the tombs, around carcasses. And because of the demons inside of them, they operated with supernatural strength. And anyone that came into the area was attacked by them, and no one could subdue them. Mark actually says that many times they were bound with chains and shackles, but with this supernatural demonic strength, they would pull the chains apart and break the shackles into pieces with their bare hands. And these men come rushing up to Jesus. Man has no power in the spiritual realm. None. None of us can operate outside of the physical that we lived in. Everything that we see, everything that we hear, everything that we do is forced and bound within what we can see and touch and hear. And yet these men, demon-possessed with as many as 2,000 demons inside of them, rushed to Jesus. Matthew eight twenty nine. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? No human lips so far in the book of Matthew have recognized Jesus' sonship of God, except God himself at Jesus' baptism. It's amazing. The demons have orthodox theology and know who Jesus is. 
Up until this point, Jesus has not spoken a word, and yet the demons are overpowered by his very presence. The puppet strings that they had on these men, the authority that the demons had in this area through their supernatural strength has come to a complete end. And something has invaded their spiritual realm that has threatened them. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us? And all of their strength is useless. And they come to the feet of Jesus and they beg. They beg that he would not send them to eternal hell to be tormented yet. It was better for them to go into a herd of pigs than it was for Jesus to deal with them. Finally, And permanently. And so they beg at the feet of Jesus. They race in the pigs to the sea where the pigs drowned. There's more going on with this Jesus character than what meets the eye. Jesus has authority over incorporeal beings. But he just doesn't have authority over angels or those who are on his side. Jesus' authority is absolutely in control of the enemy spiritual realm who crawl at his feet. Why? Because he is Yahweh, king over the spiritual realm and all of its inhabitants. Matthew's clustered these stories together. He's communicating to us something. And there's two more areas that Jesus has spiritual authority over. But it's this next one we're going to stop and spend a few minutes on. Immediately after this encounter with the demons, the very next verse, Matthew fast forwards us to this healing story. But we've, we've seen Jesus heal before in the book of Matthew. Actually, many times. So what's different about this one? What's he trying to show us this time? Matthew 9, verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic. That's a man whose legs were paralyzed. He couldn't walk. Lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Now you have to get the picture. This guy is brought in. He can't walk. Who knows how long it's been since he could walk, if ever. And Jesus looks at this guy who's hungry for a miracle, who's hungry to run and leap and do everything that he's, that he's always dreamt of doing. And Jesus looks at him and he cuts past the physical and goes right to his heart. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Something bigger is going on here. Now we don't know what his specific sins were. We don't know what anguished him, but Jesus doesn't do anything without insight and compassion. Whatever is going on inside of him, Jesus' words hit like this cool drink of water to someone dying of thirst. They hit like medicine for a wound. They're relieving, they're releasing, they're setting something inside of this guy free. They come as a relief. But the scribes, Those Pharisees who are always hovering around Jesus like mosquitoes, they immediately get offended. Why do they accuse him of blaspheming? Because it is plain, according to Scripture, that only God can forgive sins. And up until now, and what they have seen, up until now, forgiveness looks like raising animals so you have a spotless one. 
taking the animal across country to get to the temple where you're going to slit this animal's throat and bleed it out and burn it as a sacrifice while a bunch of priests speak these ritualistic things. This is how you get forgiveness in their world. And yet Jesus has the gall to look at this man and within a couple of words say that he forgives him of sin. Who is this Jesus guy? Who does he think he is? First of all, he can read minds. Matthew 9, verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? You see, from their perspective, just saying his sins are forgiven, there's no, there's no way you can tell that or test that. Nothing's happening on the outside. So from their perspective, it's much more difficult for him to claim a miracle and have this guy jump up in front of the crowds. This guy who is known for being lame in their community to suddenly get up and walk. Verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Dot, dot, dot. Then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. The crowd saw it. They were afraid. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. His physical healing is a reflection of the spiritual healing that has gone on inside of him. Because his heart is a dimension that only God can have access to. Only God can peer at an individual's heart and transform what he's found there. Only God. There's something going on here that's deeper than, what's, than what is seen by the crowds. There's something more going on about Jesus than what they can see. Because his spiritual paralysis, his heart that is racked with sin and rebellion, has been purified by the master's hand. What is Matthew teaching us? That King Jesus has authority over creation, authority over the spiritual realm, and he has authority over man's heart, over sin itself. Why? Because Jesus is Yahweh. He is the God of creation, the king over the hearts of mankind. And this is really important to the author. This is where the rubber is going to meet home for Matthew. Because if you could hear Jesus' words echoing off the wall, the Son of Man has authority over sin. The Son of Man has authority over sin. It is here that Matthew inserts his testimony. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose. I got up and followed him. No words, no discussion, no questions about financial security, just an immediate response. Look how Matthew has arranged it. Jesus gives a point. The Son of Man has authority over sins. And then Matthew uses his own testimony as a living example. I, in the example, Matthew is saying, Matthew was hated, rightfully so. He was a tax collector. That means that Rome gave him permission 
to tax his people. But further, they gave him permission to tax his people whatever he wanted. Rome required this amount. Matthew was allowed to ask for this amount and pocket the difference and had Rome's authority and soldiers to enforce it. And so Matthew was cold-hearted enough to take the job. He was ostracized because he served Rome, which was a pagan nation. Who knows if Matthew had burned incense or worshipped Roman gods. And he was politically hated because he served the bad guys. Rome was an oppressive nation that had their thumb on Israel. And it's here that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. And Matthew says, it was me. I can, I can verify. I give testimony that Jesus can forgive sins. Why? Yeah, he healed a guy's legs. But let me tell you the reality. The greatest testimony that I have, the greatest, deepest evidence that I can present to your readers is that he had authority over the sin in my life. He changed my heart. He saw a guy who was hardened and cold and hated, and he reached out to me. But Matthew doesn't stop there. He continues his testimony. He gives a clear description of Jesus' ministry. Because as soon as Matthew says yes, he fast-forwards us to a party that Matthew throws in honor of Jesus. A meal that he's having with his friends. And if you're a hated outcast of society because you're a cold-hearted sinner, who are your friends? Other cold-hearted sinners who are hated by society. And those are the people Matthew calls to hang out with Jesus at the party at his house. But always hovering nearby are the Pharisees and the scribes trying to disqualify Jesus' ministry. But Jesus is going to take their argument and flip it upside down. Matthew 9, verse 11 through 13. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well, those who are healthy, have no need of a physician, a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In fact, God's heart was never towards those who were proud of their own righteous acts. His heart was always towards those who were sick and those who were overlooked by society. We haven't left Matthew's testimony. He is presenting himself as the one who is sick. Jesus has authority over sin. He was the great physician. He's the only one who can peer into a man's heart and change what he finds there. I was the one. I was the one that Jesus touched. What are Matthew's points? Jesus is king. Jesus came to break the curse of sin and death. And Jesus came offering forgiveness to anyone, especially the overlooked, the outcast, the humbled. Jesus makes an argument with the Pharisees that what he's doing, they can't fit into their paradigm 
And then the very next story, Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. Because King Jesus has authority over death itself. He has authority over creation. He has authority over the spiritual realm. He has authority over man's heart. And he has authority over life and death. Who is this man, Jesus? He is the king of all creation. Many of our hearts, let's get real, a lot of us in here, our hearts aren't as pretty as we'd want them to be. If our hearts were suddenly displayed in front of everyone, we would be a little uncomfortable what people would see inside. And there's kind of three different responses. Some of us, some of us, our hearts, the sin in our hearts, we're perfectly fine with it. Maybe you're thinking to yourself tonight, it's my heart, it's my life, I'm going to do what I want. And I've got news for you. The reality is, it was never your heart. You didn't create it. You're not Lord over creation. You don't actually have authority. Good luck with your rebellion. But you know what? If you're in here and that's the way you're thinking, this message probably isn't going to reach you. 2 Corinthians 4 says that you are blinded by the God of this world so that you will not see Christ. If that pricks you a little bit, maybe there's hope. The second person in here, maybe, who looks at your heart and realizes that it's a little bit uglier and out of tune than what you're happy happy with. You're someone that you see that you're a mess, but the reality is you have no idea what to do about it. So I'm just going to ignore it and just do the, do the best I can. I want to try to keep my appearance up. I'm going to try to keep looking good. Because I, I don't know what to do about that. Well, I have real hope for you. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Lord over sin. And he is the Lord over your heart. And he's come for the people humble enough to ask for forgiveness. Those humble enough to say, my heart's a mess. I've got nothing. And if it's not you, there's nobody. I've got nothing. There's hope for you. Because, you know, Jesus is looking in the eyes of those Pharisees. And those Pharisees' hearts are as broken and dirty and warped as the people they're pointing the finger at. And they're busy sitting there ignoring their sin thinking that it's not bad enough. Don't you think Jesus is offering them hope as well? As he's looking them in the eyes saying, a physician doesn't come for the healthy guys. Guys, you guys. Jesus is speaking to them when he talks about this. And so if you're in here and you're like, I'm a mess, I don't know what to do about it. There is so much hope for you. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. Oh, Lord, that the that a, that light would cut into your hearts, that there's hope. Because all you have to do is take this old violin of a heart and you bring it to the master. And there's a third group in here. And those are the people who have surrendered your heart to the Lord. You've let him tune you up. You've let him clean you off. Sometimes we get a little out of tune sometimes, but we just return back to the master. And I challenge you, God's people in here, my brothers and sisters, I challenge you to throw a party and invite everyone you know. 
I challenge you to have a party in the honor of Jesus Christ, and it's called your life. And you're going to invite every sinner you meet, everyone that is a friend and a buddy, every enemy you ever had, and you say, come to my house. I've met the Lord of creation. I've met the man who changed everything in me with the word. I want to get, make this practical because I am talking sort of in analogy. But, um, if you want to go back into our podcast, you can find my, my testimony. I think it's called uh, uh, Gypsy Oreo Youth Pastor. That's my, that's my testimony. I grew up, uh, my parents were um, youth pastors in, in the ghetto of a city in North Louisiana. And that was my life. All my friends were, were gang members and drug addicts and prostitutes. These are people I rubbed elbows with every day. They were my friends. And I would go to the Lord and be like, Lord, I don't know how to serve with my parents. I'm just a kid. I'm, I'm 12, 13, 14 years old, and I, I don't know what to do. How do I minister to people that come from a whole different world than me? How do I minister in a place where people love their sin, where they're blind to reality and truth? And it's probably just the Holy Spirit. He gave me an idea. Some of the people that I played basketball with day in and day out, I'd pick one and I'd invite them to spend the night at my house. And uh, when they left, I didn't always have everything that I owned before they came. But I'd invite them to spend the night. And I'd build a friendship with this targeted person. And when they come and spend the night at my house, by golly, we're going to have a Bible study. You're here. I'm feeding you. You're spending the night at my crib. We're going to have a Bible study. And it was amazing, some of the friendships that I built, some of the most important friendships in my life were people that I just invited to my house so I could have a Bible study with them. You're trapped here, man. It's a long walk home. Let's have food and Bible study. It was amazing how God can work through a really dorky, out-of-place 13-year-old. Nothing's changed, I'm just not 13. I want to read the last stanza of this poem. King Jesus sees the physician that everyone overlooks. The last verse of that poem, it goes like this. You know there's many with their life out of tune battered and scarred with sin. And they're auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like that old violin. Oh, but then the master comes and that old foolish crowd, they never understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by just one touch of the master's hand. And then he cried out, one, give me 1,000, who will make it two? If you want to search this out a little bit more, go read the the part where Jesus delivered the guy from demons. It's in Matthew 8. And here's a fun question to study. Why did the people living there run Jesus out of town after he healed the guy from demons? Go check it out. Recap. Matthew compiles a series of miracles showing Jesus' kingly authority over creation, the spiritual realm, the human heart, and even death. Jesus uses physical healing to the lame man to show a spiritual healing. After Jesus makes this outlandish claim that he has authority over sin, Matthew gives himself as an example of Jesus' power. 
Further, he uses Jesus' response to the Pharisees at his dinner party to show Jesus' ministry in a nutshell. He is the physician who is here to heal his people. And none of us are too sick. The master has come to redeem anyone who comes to him with a humble and repentant heart. Challenge number one, read Matthew chapters 8 and 9 and make a note of each person that Jesus talks to. Then list three adjectives about how Jesus treats that person. It's a lot of people, and it's amazing how compassionate Jesus is. Challenge number two, dare you. Oh, man, if you're sincere with this, the Lord is going to mess with you. I dare you to begin praying for one person who doesn't know Jesus. Pray for God's opportunity and pray for Holy Spirit courage. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you have authority in this room. Thank you, Lord, that you have authority over our hearts. You have a 100% success rate of everyone that you have called. Lord, I pray that you will call our family members. Call our friends. Rock our world, Lord, and call our enemies and convict us. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who knows they're a mess, that they will have the courage to come to you. Lord, inspire them to go and talk to a leader. To ask a leader, how can they be saved? And give your leaders wisdom as we walk with your people into salvation. And Lord, I pray for those hard hearts in here tonight, those who are content with their sin, that don't even realize that they need a Savior, that you will break something, that you will use your Holy Spirit crowbar and pry out their heart of stone. Lay them, Lord, on your heart transplant operating table and do a work that we think can never be done because you have authority over sin. Make your people light. Make us salt. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.